It's four o'clock on a Monday, and you know what that means, don't you? It's time for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. This week, starring the one, the only, the often asked for, and today she's delivered, Miss Robin Frederick. Yeah, baby. Woo-hoo. And thank you, fake fan. Thank you, fake audience. Uh, hello, Robin. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. It's good to be here and actually see you. Yeah, uh, likewise. Which I haven't. <laughs> I know. It's been months. Uh, and I want to, I don't have the chat room open, so I'm going to open that while I'm talking to you. But I want to apologize to our viewers that I messed something up while I was setting up today. And Robin's got a skinnier frame than she should. Uh, but we've got her face and we've got her voice. And that's what's important. Let me get into YouTube Studio so I can get the chat going here, and we will get cranking in about 30 seconds or less. Uh, Live. Uh, Got that. And there we go. Where's my chat people? There they are. And... Pop out chat. Uh, nothing like technical stuff. I know it. I know it. Pop out chat. There they are. Popped out. And hello, Mary and Laird, Ian Shortle, Cass McKenty, uh, Amanda West, Lou Lewis, uh, Alex Dillon, Ken Mesford, Joseph Alonzo, Darren Moss, Jesse Jake Peck, Bob Gunnerfeld, uh, John Michael Carantz, Floyd Armlin. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, if I say hello to everybody, Robin draws right. a big crowd, obviously. Uh, and because of that, uh, we've got a lot of people to say hello to, but I don't really, I don't have the time, to be honest. So That's okay. We're just okay. jumping. Yeah, just, it's nice. To, I recognize a lot of those names, so it's uh, nice to see everybody here. Or actually, I can't see you, but it's nice to have you. Here, so. <laughs> Thank you for coming. Thanks for spending time with us. Yeah, absolutely. We, we, we always have a good time. We do. Um, so I want to talk about what well, we want to talk about, how to, you know, like keep your brain from getting scrambled during the lockdown, which, by the way, did you hear, Robin, about two hours ago, the governor said he's kind of locking California back down yes, again? Yes, I heard it. Yeah. yeah, I was over at the office today kind of prepping things. We were supposed to return to the office today, but some of the people in the staff hadn't gotten tested. I thought it'd be great if everybody got tested. Good. before we went back and I said, you know what we'll push it one more week and then boom so anyway i'm bummed out that we don't get to go back um yeah yeah and, for sure yeah so uh anyway but how ap- apropos it is that we can talk about this which is right. you know how to deal with a loss of productivity because you're losing steam because we're locked down so Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Give, uh, Everything's changed. When you and I talked about it last week and said, what do we want to talk about? This has been the number one concern, really, of all of my clients. Everybody's talking about it. I'm not getting much. I don't feel like I'm getting anything done. I don't feel like I'm achieving my, you know, getting closer to my goals. But I seem to have all this time. Right. So it's if time has changed, the way we spend our time has been upended. We don't hang out with our friends as much. There's no quick runs to the grocery store. Um, you know, we have more interaction with close family members, but less with everybody else. And it comes down to one word, stress. Um, and 
we don't always give stress credit for the effect that it actually has on our lives. We think of it as, oh, stress is, you know, just, just being worried, just being uncomfortable. Um, we all know stress isn't good for you, but we don't really th stop to think about all the ways that stress impacts us. So, for example, if your stress, your stress level is heightened, everybody's is, not knowing if we're safe, if our loved ones are safe, not knowing what the future holds. Today, they shut down California again, right? We didn't see that coming. You can't know whether your kids are going to be in school or not this fall. You can't predict that one. And um, it's and all of those things, not knowing the future is something that creates stress. Humans like to know what's coming next. And when we don't, we have a tendency to imagine the worst because stress is a survival mechanism. You can't get rid of it. You've got it. Okay, so stress distracts. That's the first thing it does. It distracts us. It's the enemy of focus. When you sit down to work on your songs, you're going to go, have I got enough hand sanitizer? Uh, did I remember to pick that up at the grocery store? Oh, I can't make it to the grocery Can I get to the grocery store? Do I have enough gas in the car? Is the battery in my car dead? That's a big one I see all the time. My, my car battery went dead because I wasn't driving my car enough. Um. And yeah, so this is these are issues. Stress distracts. The minute you start working on something, stress will be there going, have you got this? Did you do that? It's going to get right in the middle of it. Stress inhibits. That's the next thing that it does. Stress likes to lock things down. So that feeling of security and comfortableness that we need when we're going to let our imagination run free for a while. I'm going to, I want to be inspired. I want some inspired lines for my song. That sense of comfort and security that says I have a safe period of time when I can just let my imagination go. We don't have that because the minute you have that stress will lock it up. It inhibits that. It wants to lock it down. And the third thing that stress does is it's judgmental, right? It says songwriting is not important right now. Hand sanitizer is important. <laughs> yeah, it has this judge. It has this um, my the safety and your safety and security is is my primary concern, says stress. And the safety and security is not dependent in, in, the, in its opinion, is not dependent on songwriting. It's dependent on hand sanitizer and food in the house and making sure every surface is clean and all those things. And so stress is stopping you because it's distracting you, it's locking down and inhibiting you from working, and it's judging that your songwriting is not important. So when you sit down to work on your songwriting, it's no wonder that you can't, you know, you can't last, you don't last very long before stress gets in there and distracts you and, and gets you thinking about other things. And you get up and you move away from wherever it is that you usually write. Um, or you just get distracted on the internet and you go read the news or you get an email and I mean, you're gone. So stress is what we need to work around. And we can't make it go away, remembering that it's a survival mechanism, you want to keep it there. So you might have noticed, I have, that the one time of day when stress goes away for me is when I'm uh, doing my physical exercises every day. I exercise for about 30 minutes a day in the morning. I noticed that I can do that. I can put the timer on. I could do my exercises for 30 minutes and stress is not there. And I think people, we think of it as the, it's the physical exercise itself that gets rid of the stress, which is probably true. But there's something else about that that, that locks stress out. And that's that you're doing something with a fo for a focused period of time. It has a beginning and an end, about 30 minutes, and 
you have a plan. Usually you're doing aerobics or, you know, strength training or whatever you're doing, abs, arms, legs. I have a whole routine that I do. And I go through that routine for a half an hour. And then, you know, I'm finished and then the stress comes back again. But at least I had a half an hour. So I'm going to recommend, and this works because I've done it with my clients and I'm doing it myself a lot of times. I, I have often recommended, even before these days, um, that we try working for 30 minutes and stopping. I have a book called The 30 Minute Songwriter that's all of, that's just that. You want to have a timer, make sure that you only work for 30 minutes and know that you will stop at the end of 30 minutes. You don't get to keep going. Even if you're excited about what you're working on, you stop at 30 minutes. And that for that 30 minutes, you have a plan. So. Oops. Where did you go? You froze. Oh, no. Uh oh. Oh, there you are. Good. Okay. And just so everybody knows, I checked with Robin. She's got ridiculously good upload speeds. Yeah, but that doesn't mean it doesn't drop out for a second every once in a while, just like that. So, yeah, yeah that doesn't surprise me. Hopefully, it will not keep doing that. That was stressful. Um, yes, that is stressful. <laughs> <laughs> so, 30 minutes without that and with a plan should give you time to to keep creating and if you do it every day then by the end of five, let's say do it five days a week by the end of five days you've accomplished quite a lot you'd be surprised at how much you can do in 30 minutes if you have a plan and you have a goal for that 30 minutes so what i used to do before covid came along was i would give this assignment to my clients and say when they were stuck when they were having trouble feeling like they were getting anything done work for 30 minutes for two weeks, do this, 30 minutes a day, five days a week for two weeks, and find out what happens at the end of that. Because it gives you, it forces you to be disciplined. It forces you to focus on a goal, a songwriting goal, meet that goal, and then it forces you to end. So it's, so all of those things that say, if I sit down, it'll be two hours before I get up again. I, if I sit down to write and I don't have time to do that, all of that goes out the window. And instead you say, okay, I only get to work for 30 minutes, that's all. And you put the timer on, you get your plan in place and off you go for 30 minutes. Do that once a day. If you're feeling like you really need to do more, you can do one of those in the morning and one in the evening, but you can't do them back to back. You have to take off at least a few hours in between. At the end of each session, record what you just did. Be sure to do that because you'll forget by the next session where you were. Record what you were working on when you stopped and then put it away. And then when you come back, you can pick it up there and continue to work on what you were doing. So let me, I'll give you some 30 minute plans so that you get the idea of the kinds of things that you could do and how this works. Because I know there's a lot of people out there going, what, 30 minutes, I can't do anything in 30 minutes. I won't get anything done. Okay, so let me give you some plans and show you how this works. Okay, the very first session, one of your first sessions, a really good thing to do is to create some raw material so that every time you sit down to a session, you have something to start with. You don't sit down and go, what am I going to write about today? That's deadly, absolutely deadly. Don't ever do that. Even when you're working for hours, don't do that. Okay, give yourself raw material. And then you can just go to that raw material and pull something out. So the raw material I like best is song titles and opening lines. Both of those to me will get you launched on a really good song. If you've got a list of titles or first lines or lyric bits that you think launch a song, 
keep a list of those. Make a list. Okay? And you don't have to drag them out of your own head because that's really hard to do. What do I, what do I, oh, I can't think of anything. And, and you just sit there. You can't waste time if all you've got is 30 minutes. And you could so, use a, a taxi listing that you saw yes. the day before that's appealing and use that as your starter. You could. You could use any of the do-it-now exercises in my books. There's a starter for any 30-minute session. There you go. There you go. Those, I just happen to have those, those around. <laughs> every single one of those has a do-it-now section at the end of, of each one of those uh, shortcuts that'll get you busy for at least 30 minutes. My favorite thing about titles, and in fact, in, in uh, level one, I actually give you this exercise right here, which is get together a list of titles. So, for example, you don't have to make and pull them out of thin air. Yes. Level perfect. one. <laughs> yes. Um, you can, I hesitate to say this, but you can turn on a daytime drama. Don't get pulled into the, the storyline, please. Okay. <laughs> You're looking impossible. for short phrases to use for titles and daytime dramas are really good. So I was watching General Hospital. I put on General Hospital. Not that I watch that every day. I don't. But I put it on for and watched it. And there was one character. She just started talking. And I just started writing down titles. So let me give you some of my titles. And you can have them. Anybody can use these titles. I'll let you know. Got to rethink our situation. <laughs> I wish I didn't have to say this. <laughs> Going to change for the better. I know what I've got to do. Break up with me. Don't overthink it. I'll always put you first. Sometimes love isn't enough. I've got a lot to lose. You could write a song off of any of those phrases and it could keep you happily busy for hours on end. I got those literally in about 10 minutes off of a daytime drama. You can get them off of commercials. Those are really good. Any kind of show that has um, emotional interaction between the characters. You don't, you're not gonna get a lot from action dramas with guns going off and stuff. That's not gonna happen. But even those usually have some kind of emotional scene in them. And then once you have that, do that for a half an hour. Then when you come back the next day, pick one of those and start to develop it. Yeah, develop the concept. Pick a title. What does that title mean to you? Uh, why would the singer say this? What has happened? What's the singer feeling? What can the singer do about it? That list of questions right there will walk you, begin to walk you through developing your verses and your chorus. It'll give you enough to say in each one that you won't reach the bridge and go, oh, I'm out of things to say, you know? Ask those questions about that title and start writing down your answers in short phrases. And then you can take those short phrases because you can turn those into lyrics better than complex sentences. Use those short phrases and start to create a lyric in your third 30 minute session. So you see how this is broken up. And then each one of those 30 minute sessions has an interim goal in it and it will get you to the point where you have a completed lyric, you know, within probably about that five days. And then you can do uh, learn a groove. That's a good 30 minutes. That'll probably take you a lot longer than 30 minutes. Find a hit song with a groove that you like on guitar or piano. Um, hey Soul Sister by Train. That's got great ukulele groove in it. Learn that groove and play it and write a song to it. That's another good way to start songs or use one of your titles that fits that groove and start putting things together. It'll take you 30 minutes at least to find a hit song that with a groove you like on piano or guitar and then to sit down and learn to play along with it and then play it on your own. That's going to take longer than 30 minutes. That'll probably be a couple of sessions. Record that when you finish and then come back to it in your next session, start playing your recording and start looking for titles that'll work with it. So in other words, you're breaking the song process up 
into manageable goal-oriented steps that you can do in 30 minutes and stress will let you have 30 minutes. At the end of 30 minutes, it'll probably butt in. But you've got your goal, you've got your 30 minutes, your timer, at the end of that, you're good to go. And you finished your work for the day. Is it possible to, when you find that groove, um, and, and you're working on the rhythm thing. I personally, if I, if I were a songwriter and the few times that I've attempted it, everything that I go to sounds familiar and is not fresh and it sounds like somebody else's song. Do you have any advice for how people can come up with something fresh and new over somebody else's groove? Because I think a groove is, is totally, somebody else's groove is very usable mm -hmm. and, and it's great advice. How do you get past mimicking their their chord changes or their melody that's a good question you can change the chords just by changing the chords and of course we live in a four chord universe now yes we and do. those <laughs> yeah the same four chords over and over and over so for example i even grabbed a couple um and put them in here somewhere i don't remember where i put them um you know uh, a minor cfg and so if you do that, you can then just take it and flip C, A minor, F, G, or C, you know, C, G, A, F, F, A minor, F. You can just flip those chords around because, and somebody will have done a song with those chords somewhere and had a hit with I'm it. Sure. Um, so you could take the chords from one hit song. I, I love the chords to that hit. It was like One Republic's first hit called Apologize. I love the chord progression to that song. It's just a four chord progression over and over and over. And put that together with the groove from Hey Soul Sister and see what you come up with because my probably absolute, a lawsuit <laughs> no no because you can't copyright chords I know. can't copyright a groove yeah so don't play the groove on ukulele play it on you know guitar way down low if, if anybody can sue anybody these days <laughs> and they're suing over stupid stuff and those those suits in my opinion should not be lost I don't know if there's just not an attorney out there who understands what a song is and what an arrangement is and how they are different um, but anyway, that's don't get me started on that one. Um, you can uh, make it different enough. And then you're going to write your own melody to it and your own lyric to it. It's not going to be the lyric or the melody of the hit song. But all hit songs share chord progressions these days, common chord progressions, especially those four chord repeated progressions. And many songs use the same rhythm, the same groove. They change the arrangement of it. They play it on a different instrument or they play it up high or down low or they layer other instruments on top of it. So there are common generic elements that you can certainly use. And one of the things I like to point out as far as being original is people talk about the Beatles as if they were so original. But honestly, they were just blending two things. They blended early rock and roll from the 50s and early 60s with the American Songbook from the 30s and 40s. You know, on their very first album, Paul McCartney warbled his way through Till There Was You from The Music Man. Um, it was the closing song on Meet the Beatles, and it's right out of the American Songbook. He loves those songs. Yeah. And John Lennon brought the, that love of rock and roll, so Paul McCartney had it too. And the two of them slammed that together, mashed it up, and came out with I want to hold your hand. And when you listen to those songs, you really hear those two things. But by blending stuff, they came up with something that sounded wholly new and original. There are no original. I mean, it's, I don't know what you'd have to do to be a complete original. Isaac Newton said, I stood on the shoulders of giants. I mean, everybody does this. Don't try to reinvent the wheel 
because there isn't enough time in your life, enough 30 minute sessions in your life to reinvent songwriting. You're going to be standing on the shoulders of giants. And, and so, you know what, yeah. to reinvent anything makes it such a long shot that you'll be successful with that reinvention. Yes. I'm, yes. I'm maybe I'm just a, you know, a, a guy who likes to go with better odds. But if I were doing it, I would go with the thing that has the highest probability of success, if success is important to you. Some people just write for the sheer joy of writing, and I get that. But if you're writing because you want to write a song that's well-crafted and pitchable, either usable in film and TV or pitchable to an artist that's on a label, then go with the thing that is the most likely to succeed. Learn that methodology in your craft. Just my absolutely. And absolutely, you're absolutely right. My mantra has always been shorten the odds. Yeah. You know, shorten the odds. Don't play long odds because this business is tough. But find the areas where you that you like. You can shorten the odds in areas that you like writing in. I think shorten the odds sometimes means to people, oh, I have to write in a style I don't like. I don't want to write, uh, you know, EDM, dance pop. I don't like that. Don't go there. Even though radio plays a lot of it, there's film and television, thank goodness. And now we have social media, which has just exploded with playlists in all kinds of interesting genres. Um, one of the things I like about... Um, playlist is that you can find novelty songs and you can find stuff that, you know, TikTok is playing, you know, um, uh, Lil Nas, uh, uh, what's the name of it? Old Town, Old oh, Town yeah. Road. It's total novelty. And look, you know, it gets to the top of the charts. Radio would never normally play that, but it exploded off of TikTok and it was being played all over the place on, on playlists. And radio finally went, well, we can't deny this one. And so you get a novelty song in there the next thing you know. So there's there's more creativity and more niches now than I have ever seen, um, even in the 60s. And, and I was there for that. Uh, we're as cre creative now as we were when that little tiny window of FM radio allowed us to hear songs. That's exactly the analogy is, you know, back in our day, FM radio. I was just talking about this on one of the quarantine happy hours the other day that FM radio was awesome. You could hear Stevie Wonder and Led Zeppelin and who knows, you know, uh, oh, I don't know, Lulu in the same set, you know, and, and now playlists are, are bringing that. It's about good music. It's not about fitting a, a radio format. So that's a wonderful thing. Right, right. You're going to find a place for your music, really, no matter what you're doing, it, if you're doing it well, if you're doing what listeners enjoy. And that's what Songcraft is there to do, is to create the enjoyment for listeners that they can follow your lyric, they can understand what you're talking about, they can hear it, they can, you know, uh, and, and the melody is catchy with a certain amount of repetition and variation, and that's all Songcraft. And that's what, when, when I say don't reinvent the wheel, that's what I mean. If, if you look at a hit song that listeners really like, and you pull that song apart, you're going to see so much repetition in the melody now, but too much repetition gets boring. So where do you change it? Well, the answer to that is take a look at where hit songs are changing it. Take a look at where you you expect to hear it change or you're like to hear it change. What if that melody repeated more times than that? Would you find it boring? So another thing you can do during our COVID time off here <laughs> um, is study hit songs. Hit songs, studying hit songs is as important as writing 
and all of us want to be creative. That's where we go first. And we go there first before we spend enough time studying or we, and we don't do enough studying while we're creating, maybe because we're afraid it'll make us less original than we would otherwise be, which is um, a mistaken notion. Let me put that one to rest. People think, and you kind of start, you, you broached it a little bit earlier, the idea that if you study other songs, Right. or you use some of the common generic chord progressions or rhythms that we use now, you will be less authentic than you would be if you just invented everything from your inside out. And, and the odds, yeah, the odds of that working for you are so incredibly minuscule. Get, lose that thought. <laughs> doing it from the inside out, strict, strictly pulling it out of you. Yeah. Because, I, because not only that, because what you're pulling out of yourself is stuff you've heard before. It was the stuff you heard when you were a teenager and you embedded all that stuff. And so what you do now out of habit and what's embedded is probably stuff from whatever era was your teenage years. So you're not being authentic. That has nothing to do with authenticity. That has everything to do with habit, habits that were formed a long time ago or recently. Um, if you are a teenager now, if you're 18 now, what you're pulling out of you is what you heard yesterday. And so you're in pretty good shape. But if you're in your 30s and you're pulling stuff out of you, you know, you're looking back at the 90s or even the 80s. Um, that's okay, but you want to blend it with something that's more contemporary. And that's something you're going to have to learn. Let's talk about that for a moment, because you and I have spent a lot of time in this show talking about how to be contemporary. Let's talk about the stress of not being able to transition to contemporary, because I see that as one of the biggest problems songwriters have. Uh, our, our audience, you know, it's not a bunch of 22-year-olds. And... Uh, they do tend to get stuck in that era that you and I both come from, and they get frustrated because they want to write contemporary stuff. They don't know how, and that stresses them out to the point where they don't even want to write. So can we yeah. meld, meld today's two yeah. topics? Several things happen around that. I remember people saying a lot of taxi members of that a certain age group, uh, over 35, um, <laughs> saying to me, um, I don't like anything that's on the radio. Right. I hate I hate everything that's on the radio. And of course, that keeps them from listening to the, to what's on the radio because they have already made up their minds that they don't like it. Well, my response to that is a: you probably don't like radio. I hate radio. It's a terrible place to hear music. Do not go listen to the radio. <laughs> you know, for that little window back in the nineteen sixties, FM radio was wonderful to listen to. But it's just a an absolute wall to wall you know, jocks and ads and contests and, and just junk. And then you listen to a lot of songs you don't like. There's plenty of songs on there on the charts I don't like. Um, just to get to that one song where you go, oh, that, that's really cool. I like that. You don't have to do that. Do not do that. Um, instead, there's so many places you can go. You can go over to the music charts on bdsradio.com and see what's on the charts and pick something that's either by an artist you might have heard of and want to check out or just pick a couple of titles that look interesting and start going through the charts. That way you can stop the song as soon as you don't like it and move on to the next one. If you don't like anything in that on that chart, then you're looking at the wrong chart. I really urge uh, those folks you just mentioned to go listen to the AAA chart, Adult Album Alternative. That's a leftover title from the yeah, 60s. From, That's FM Oh, it Radio. is? I, I thought it, yeah. well, I thought it was, it, it became a chart in the 90s, right? Uh, it might have, but AAA has been with us a long time. It was really? a radio format. Yeah. And the radio format was adult 
album alternative, alternative yeah. because it wasn't singles. It came right. off of albums. And in the 60s, late 60s, we started making albums and not singles. And that's when they would play, you know, five cuts off of James Taylor's new album. Yeah. So that, those were album oriented stations. And that's what they became known for was album cuts, adult album uh, alternative. And so they may have come up with the full AAA thing in the 90s. I don't know. But it, that's what it always has meant to me. And when you go to AAA, you get this tremendous, the AAA charts. And you'll find a AAA chart on, on bdsradio.com. It's under rock. Just look for AAA. And you will find the most wonderful mix of crazy stuff that you will love. Um, it'll, it's indie folk. It's indie rock. It's everything, the Black Rebel Motorcycle Club, which is this great blend of, of 60s and contemporary rock. And all the way over to all of the Nathaniel Rateliff has a beautiful song on there. Um, still okay. Beautiful thing. I think that's, I'm still all right. That's the name of it. I'm still all right. Um, beautiful indie folk song. And you'll find all kinds of stuff that are ch that's charting there. It's coming out of college radio initially, but it's also coming out of social media and playlists. Um, and you can find all of those songs also over on Spotify playlists. You just go to AAA or Indie Folk or Alternative R&B. Anything you can think of is a playlist at Spotify. And you can see millions of people listening to this stuff. And in fact, now we're hitting billions of listeners on Spotify now for songs that would never have been a hit at radio. Um, 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I mean, it would never be heard by that many people because we didn't have Spotify playlists. So there's tremendous access now to any type of music that you're interested in uh, is phenomenal. And now with the advent of markets like film and TV, we have a place to pitch some of those things that we didn't have before as well. Yeah, we've got a music supervisor that probably shows up and runs listings four or five times a year. And one of the genres that he asked for is AAA. Oh, I, interesting. I, yeah, I was shocked the first time. It's actually somebody that you know from when you were head screener at Taxi, somebody who cool. you consider kind of a pain in the tush. Uh, <laughs> and, and he runs listings for AAA stuff for a particular series that he's working on. That's what fits the, you know, the, the storyline. Oh, it's interesting because I don't know even how you'd identify. I, AAA is so interesting. Generally, people put down for AAA, they'll put Tame Impala and they'll put Empire of the Sun. These are real melodic, catchy. Um, uh, it's it, often they're 80s influenced with a contemporary edge on them. So to go back to your question, I'm circling around. Amazingly enough, I remember your question. Um, <laughs> it was about uh, people who are, let's say, stuck mm -hmm. in the era in which they grew up. And the wonderful thing about that is you have that knowledge of the 80s. 80s is real popular influence right now. People love the 80s. But you want to give that melody a contemporary edge and give that rhythm track a contemporary edge to it. And that comes from studying contemporary songs and then saying, oh, I could write a song to that groove or I could write a song to those chords. Um, and Find, then you've got to find someone, a, a producer or a co-writer or a singer, somebody who can bring that contemporary feel to what you already know. But think about studying, really pulling apart contemporary songs. Um, if you're interested in this, my website, robinfrederick.com, I have something called Secrets of Hit Songwriting on there. It's a whole page with a long, 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 long list of songs that I've done song 
guides. I've just pulled them apart and reverse engineered them. I just finished doing uh, Don't Start Now by Dua Lipa. But before that, I did Nathaniel Ratliff's I'm Still All Right. And those are all there. And you can just click on any song and take a look at how I broke it down in genre, structure, melody, uh, lyrics, and sometimes production, sometimes not. And I'll walk you through that. And you should listen to it while I walk you through. Because if you're interested in doing contemporary folk, you want to listen to Nathaniel Rateliff. Number one on the AAA charts, not indie folk, new folk. And you want to listen to that and see how you, and then back it out, pull it apart. The melody is contemporary. The lyric is really internal. It's really beautiful. And it took me a long time to figure out what he was talking about. When I got it, it's like the light bulb went on. And went, oh my God, that's so gorgeous. So there's lots to see in these songs. There is so much there. I, it hurts me when I hear somebody say, I don't like anything that's out now because they're missing so much. Yeah, so they're not much. working very hard at finding it. They don't know where to find it. They have a, you're uh, right, how hard can it be to go to Spotify and look <laughs> at playlists? I mean, it's... Because I have, I, have, I have students and clients in that age range, in, this, in the 50 and up, 60 and up age range, who don't have a Spotify uh, account. Wow. And it's 10 bucks a month. And I go, and, and they're writing, you know, pretty, there's, there's, their chops are good. Yeah. The style is not, but the chops are great. They're there. The songcraft is there. And I go, you ha just at 10 bucks a month, you're crazy not to do that. And then spend one of your 30-minute sessions every week, at least one of them, just digging through Spotify. Just just dig, you know, a, a crater, look, crater look, they call it, you know, Friday yeah. Night Crater Watch. Go through your crates of music on Spotify. And you can, there's, you know, nothing you listen to years ago that isn't there but don't go there go towards the more contemporary and and explore indie folk and new folk and um 80s influenced dance music and you know um there are disco blends now if you're into disco there are disco blends and, and i mean disco never died our, our dance music right now is still disco basically yeah. it's, it's just missing walk, walk, walk. missing the horn parts and the ooh, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> right. And even those are sometimes there. The strings are sometimes there these days. It's, I heard something the other day and I went, oh my God, the strings are there um, from the old disco days. So it's there and those blends can be wonderful fun, but you have to have a blend. You have to know that it's not all what just comes out of you, which is pure 80s, let's say, or pure 70s um, that comes out of you. That's not your authentic self. That's your habitual self. And Go out and get some new stuff and blend it and have fun. People will, if they find something that's a blend of old and new, they immediately, another one of my observations from owning taxi for 28 years, they will immediately gravitate to the thing that's most comfortable for them, which is the old stuff and ignore the new stuff. What they should do is go, okay, there's some old stuff there that I know I can do, but let me look at the new, but they just, reflexively look at the old stuff and go, oh, I'm like that artist because they've got an aspect of what their songcraft is or their production is that sounds like stuff I used to do. They've yeah. got to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah, it gives them an opportunity to submit and they're looking for those opportunities to submit things from their catalog. Here's, this is an important thing, catalog, back catalog. Um, I know a lot of people, and you're talking about people who have back catalogs, sometimes very extensive back catalog, and that's what they're submitting because they already have it. Yeah. 
right. and they're looking for opportunities to submit that. Sometimes people come to me and they say, I've got a big back catalog and I want to update it. And I have gotten to the point where I've discovered that that's not a good uh, approach. Mm -hmm. The best approach is to let go of that for a while. You're going to come back to it, but let it go for now. And go search out what you like now and, and get your chops up on writing songs that sound like that now. I mean, literally, even just to practice, write stuff that sounds exactly like that. Go ahead and use the melody and write a new lyric to it to see how your lyric sounds sung to a different style of melody than was uh, prevalent in the 60s, 70s, and 80s. Because our melodies now tend to be very convoluted with lots of repetition and, and uh, short phrases and broken up with long phrases, that kind of thing. Our melodies now are very structured, but very complicated at the same time. And we didn't used to write that way, uh, melodies like that. If you sing your lyric, a lyric you write to that melody, it's going to feel different for, to, for you. And you're going to be embedding that melody style and hearing it with your own lyric and going, oh, that's what the trick is. I could maybe do that. And, and get that embedded. And then before you go back to your back catalog, try writing new songs in that style. Because when you go back to the back catalog, it's going to pull you back into your old habits. It's the very place you should not go right away. Once you embed new habits, because it's all about embedding habits, so they're there the minute you need them. When you, you don't want to be sitting there thinking, what should I do now with my melody? You want it to be to just to be a choice, a spontaneous choice, which means you have to embed that new melody style until it becomes a habit. If you go back to your old songs with your old melodies, it's going to reinforce the old melody style. And that's not a good thing until you've fully embedded the new melody style. It's this constant pull back back and I've seen people backslide a lot after really fighting to update their sound their songwriting style I've seen them go slip backwards when they started going back to their back catalog and pulling things out I want to go back to repetition for a minute uh, you and I've talked about that endlessly and we've also talked about uh, how the refrain came into being and eventually became a chorus you know the roving minstrel going from castle to castle and somebody in the king's court would say sing that song again about you know i love my sheep or something uh, <laughs> so deb and i have been binging at the insistence of my 35 year old daughter uh, who's been begging me for like a year to watch um outlander are you familiar with that tv show uh, yes i am okay and have you watched any of the episodes at all some some i yeah Okay, so <laughs> <Not very many. laughs> it's you really do have to it's a show you have to start on episode one. But once you get two episodes in, forget it, you're toast for the rest of the summer. You're going to be <laughs> binging it. It's that good. And it's actually not a show I would typically watch, but it takes place. It starts out in the 1940s and it's a, a time travel thing that goes back to the mid 18th century. So I won't give away much plot this isn't anything that's going to kill it for anybody but at one point towards the end of season one uh the female protagonist is in search of somebody and going from village to village and somebody puts the idea in her head that she's got to get people noticing her so that word will get out to the person that she's searching for and that they will come to her rather than her trying to find them so she decides to start doing a little song and dance number every time they go to a village. She gets a little money and a hat, you know. Um, 
but she takes what's the song not the Lennon sisters from World War Two boogie woogie bugle boy oh okay so she takes boogie woogie bugle boy which she knows from you know the century Great. that she was really yeah. living in and then sets some old scottish political lyric to that song and pretty soon she becomes like a star a touring star in all these little villages to the point oh, where so, somebody else tries to plagiarize her because they want to make the money too it's and of course they used to do that that was the troubadours did that yeah. all the time they stole everything yeah so the, the other oh, night deb and i were watching that episode i said i wish robin were sitting here on the couch oh, with us right I'll now she it. would be laughing with me I'll watch it. That yeah. sounds hysterical. What yeah. a brilliant idea. Yeah. Absolutely. By the way, speaking of movies that I saw recently that I thoroughly enjoyed, just just going to take a little break here from our, our thing. Yeah. Um, Eurovision Song Contest, Fire Saga. I haven't seen it yet, but you're like the 10th person in a week to tell me. Some it people really say it's like really dumb and other people say, yeah, but it's so dumb that it's like perfectly wonderful. Oh, yeah. It's like watching Spinal Tap. Right. It's like a mockumentary, yeah, on yeah. the Eurovision Song Contest. And of course, Eurovision Song Contest is completely dumb. And it is, it's perfectly it, that. And and Will Ferrell understands that that genre of film, which is the silly, crazy knockabout, you know, slightly, yeah. Uh, yeah. He totally understands that. And he's written the script and, and stars in it. And he, uh, it's, it is perfectly what it is. Um, and the whole Eurovision Song Contest thing, because it's so completely silly, uh, it just makes a perfect um, uh, parody. You, you can't parody. You can't be the right. And all the songs, all excuse me, all the voices in the movie, the singing voices, are all Eurovision contest winners or finalists. And in the middle of the film, it's not giving the plot away to say in the middle of the film, the whole film kind of stops at this party scene. And they have about 15 of the winners and finalists at this party. And they start doing a sing-off. And it's just brilliant the, how the, ca the camera moves and the scene, and the voices are phenomenal. So, um, yes, it's a ton of fun. I highly recommend it. I've been recommending it all over the place, and everybody who sees it really enjoys it. And it's a great way to have some musical entertainment in the midst of all the stress and have a really nice break. Yeah, let's see if I can get Deborah to skip a night of binging Outlander to watch it, because <laughs> it is something I want to see. Uh, on a semi-unrelated, but the Eurovision thing reminded me of it while we're on the break. Back in like 1979 or 80, somewhere around there, I produced one of the biggest French singers of all time, a guy named Gilbert Montagnier. Mm -hmm. And he was in the United States trying to get a record deal here. But he was like Phil Collins big everywhere out in, in Europe, outside of the United States. Anyway, we became very close. He, he's blind. And he, uh, not that I should draw a comparison because both of these artists are blind, but Gilbert and Stevie Wonder are very much in the same category. And Gilbert is equally as talented as Stevie Wonder, which is a pretty big statement. Um, anyway, I haven't spoken to the guy in around 40 years and we connected this weekend and the second sentence out of his mouth was like oh michael it's like we were just together yesterday <laughs> anyway i'm so excited because this is one of the few like true artists that i know this guy was put on god's green earth 
to be a mega artist and just be that talented. And you would so appreciate this guy. I'll send you some links to him. There's a video of him online at something like Eurovision um, singing a song that I actually produced when he was in the US called If You Still Believe In Me. And, and one of the women on stage is just like breaking down and crying. It's just, it's like Eurovision. Anyway, you'll love it. Well, I was gonna um, ask people, since we were on the subject of, of Fire Saga, um, <laughs> it's one of the great songwriter movies. It is, one of the great silly songwriter movies. Uh, other people, what their favorite songwriter movie might be. I I like, I love Words and, I think it's called Words and Music with Hugh Grant and uh, oh, yeah. Drew Barrymore. I love that movie, if you ever wanna see a good songwriter movie. And the other one I love is um, Ishtar. With, really? Uh, You're the yes. only person, I believe, that loves Ishtar. It got terrible reviews, <laughs> but that's because all the reviewers didn't understand what songwriters go through. And they spent and a fortune making that movie, yes, remember? They, well, that was, was why it got horrible reviews. Right. It was, it, but it was Elaine May who directed it, and she was brilliant as a comedian. And it's Warren Beatty and uh, Dustin Hoffman. Yeah, and, can't um, go wrong with that. There's a couple of songwriters, a couple of co-writers yep. <laughs> who get caught up in international intrigue. And it's just wonderful because the songs are so terribly good, bad, uh, and doing that, and Fire Saga is the same thing, and also the Hugh Grant movie, Words and Music, um, or maybe it's Lyrics and Music, and um, the writing songs for these films is tough because the song has to keep the script going forward mm -hmm. and have the emotional impact that it has to have. So the, the closing song in Fire Saga has to be a song that absolutely raises the roof, and, it, and they did it. And so you have to really hand it to the songwriters on these movies, what they have to do um, to make a, you know, Spinal Tap, same thing. Here, uh, Meet the Ruddles, same thing. Right. These movie parodies, <laughs> they're brilliant, the songs in, in Meet the Ruddles, which is a, a Monty Python takeoff on uh, Meet the Beatles. Um, absolutely brilliant. Somebody so, in the, uh, in the chat is asking, uh, what about Star, <clears throat> Star is Born? I want to know, do they mean the old version, <clears throat> the really old version, the... Uh, which like, one? Yeah, <laughs> yeah which, which one? Version. I actually love the, the, late, the latest version I thought was uh, really well done. Yeah, stick that in there. Anybody else got any good movies? I can't see the chat room, so uh, Michael will have to read them. Spinal Tap, uh, Cheese and Onions? I don't even know that one. Or is that just that somebody might, Darren Moss might be eating cheese and onions? I don't know. <laughs> um, Ishtar... Uh, George Harrison funded Monty Python, Can't Beat Spinal Ooh. Tap. Uh, the Streisand version of A Star is Born is the best. Uh, um, Christopher Guest made other films besides Spinal Tap. He did one on the folk scene from the 60s that's hysterical. Called something. It's not blowing in the wind, but it's something like that. It, a title like that. Look up Christopher Guest in IMDb and you'll find it. And it's charming. They, he did that one with a lot of the people from uh, Second City. Eugene Levy right. is in that one. And uh, yeah, it's a take on that. I didn't love that one. You know, I only made it through about 40 minutes and I couldn't stick with it. But I know other people that did love it. A Mighty Wind. A Mighty Wind. That's yeah. it. Thank you. Um, the, what's the one? The, the Life of David Lewin. That's another one that takes place in the village. He's a folk, folk singer. Um, and it, people think it's based on Dave Van Ronk, uh, but I've heard other names as well uh, that the character is based on. That's an interesting film, not particularly fun to watch, um, but it is that period. Yeah, that was that just out like two years it. ago, right? It's a little longer than that, I think. Yeah. 
um, but I'm not sure. You know how David, time, time gets weird as we get yeah. older. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I just, any, anything that feels like it was two years, I just tack another five years on it. Um, yeah, so that's another good one. Oh, somebody um, brought up Almost Famous. Um, oh, yes, Almost Famous. Oh, gosh, how could I have missed that one? That may be my favorite. Uh, oh. That's one of my favorite movies of all time. It's but, so great. Yeah. yeah. So, so something for you to do to get rid of stress and get in the mood to write songs is watch movies. Um, movies about songwriters. That'll help. Nancy um, Collell wants to know what you thought of the show Nashville. Or what oh, I loved it. Yeah, I loved it. And I thought the songs... Uh, the songs they chose were excellent. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. I thought that was extremely well done because it had to. It, they had to. The the songs could not be cheesy. Right. And one of the mistakes that television series make is when they have a. Uh, he's such a great singer. What a songwriter! And then you hear the song and it's just awful. You know, from our point of view, but the audience accepts that. It's it's as okay. They couldn't get away with that in Nashville. And I thought they did a great job. Not to um, mention the yeah. fact that, yeah, by virtue of the fact that they shot so much of it in Nashville and used so much Nashville talent. Talent. Uh, that they literally, that put so much extra pressure on them to come up with great songs. Otherwise, they would have gotten so much flack from the songwriting community in Nashville, mm -hmm. which is probably the best on the planet. They needed their support. Yeah. And they had to use songs that hadn't already been hits. Right. And yet the singers have to have hits. Yeah. And boy, is that hard. <laughs> yeah. So hats off. I remember the first few episodes watching them and going, my God, where are they finding these songs? Because the songs could have been hits because they had to have been almost hits. They oh, had to. Here's yeah. another one. Uh, Eddie and the Cruisers. Remember that movie? <gasps> I love Eddie and the Cruisers. I yes. actually did. I can't remember who was, but I overdubbed a couple things on a song that made it into that movie because my music attorney at the time was also the music attorney for whoever the main artist was but uh and that movie didn't do that well uh it, it became better as a cult classic it's a cult film yeah. yeah it's a cult film absolutely people still watch it i still watch it if it's on tv i will watch it um i was watching uh i like british uh, murder mysteries and i was watching midsummer murders the other night which is like in its 17th season and it's just a really crazy show from britain and they, they had a show about uh, this great songwriter who died and before he, and, but he made this album that nobody could find. And it was supposedly his greatest work yet. And they've got to find it. And sure enough, they find it. And then they play this song. And I thought, oh my God, they're gonna, what is this? This is gonna be awful. Or it's gonna be, what, how do you, when you've built up a song that much right. in a show <laughs> and it's the payoff of the show, what are you gonna do? Well, they got Seth Lakeman and I discovered Seth Lakeman through the show. I said, this is incredible. This is an amazingly perfect song for this supposed folk singer in, in, who died in England. This is a perfect song for that. And it's brilliant and it's gorgeous. And um, it, who's this by? So I went over to IMDb to find out. And it's this guy, Seth Lakeman, L-A-K-E-M-A-N. He's become well known in England now. He writes songs that sound traditional. He's a, phen a phenomenal violin, a hit fiddle player and a great singer. And if you want to check out somebody, if you're into folk, check out Seth Lakeman uh, over on Spotify because boy, is he good. But he wrote the song just for that show uh, because it has to have certain lyrics in it. Yeah. And he did a brilliant job of it. Can you imagine so, being the music yeah. supervisor on any of these things? I mean, yeah. talk about 
you know, it's not just picking some good songs and getting the director or the producer to say yes. I mean, it's a whole other can of worms that you have to deal with on a music supervision level. Um, Dean Crepain yeah. just mentioned something that I made a note to ask you about. Have you seen the movie Knives Out? Uh, yes, I tried it's, to. I, I didn't care for it myself. Really? Yeah, but I know people who love it. Yeah. Yeah, it got. I've got to say, the first twenty minutes or so, yeah, but it, it did get better. Um, and good. it's also I'll got. Try again. Yeah, it, it's a good. It's like an Agatha Christie rip. But, yes, it but, is. But it's yeah. well done. Um, and it had Ana de Armas in it, who I believe is going to be a superstar actress someday. She's just. Adorably cute, and my wife knows if Anna ever shows up at the front door that we may have a marriage in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, she's adorable. Um, since Dean recommends it, I will definitely go back and give it another try. Yeah, but um, I was thinking about it first, and then he recommended it, so there you go. <laughs> one other film, uh, speaking of music supervisors in films that turn on, on music, um, uh, Stephen Goldman yes. is, a, is a taxi screener and a... Uh, Academy Award nominated music supervisor for Godfather Three and Killing Fields and River Runs River Through Runs it. Through It. Yes, couple of good and, movies. And um, he said, I said one time to Stephen, "What's your What's your favorite movie that you ever worked on?" And he said, "It's a movie not many people know. It's called A Walk on the Moon, hmm. and it takes place in the summer of 1969 in August when we walked on the moon, and the whole film turns on." the difference, the change in music that was taking place at that time. Wow. From an older style to the newer folk rock and, and um, the, the newer style of music that was coming in in 1969. And he was the music supervisor on that. And you watch that movie if you want to see a music supervisor, a brilliant music supervisor at work. The whole A film, Walk on the Moon? A Walk on the Moon turns on the music that he chose. Uh, it wasn't original. It. It's, it's not original to the movie. I don't think any of it's original. I think it's all period. Um, but it's it's because it's what somebody's listening to. What are you listening to that tells you who they are? And uh, and so the music supervisor becomes absolutely crucial. Uh, and it's a wonderful film. Absolutely I, wonderful. Film. I love it. He Robin mentioned that uh, Stephen, when he's between films or TV shows, he does a lot of video game stuff. When he's mm -hmm. between gigs, he will screen a taxi. And there have been occasions where he'll screen stuff, uh, you know, where he's looking for something and he says, look, I can find it better than anybody else can find it. I want to screen my own stuff. So we let him. And I love it when a taxi member complains about, I don't like the way he, you know, uh, criticized my song. What does this guy know? It's probably an intern. Well, no, actually, he's not. <laughs> you guys only hire green interns. No. Um, yeah, he can be very short. He, he can he can give be very succinct at times. Yes, but that's a nice be, way to put it. Just to be heard by him um, uh, is, is amazing. I learned so much from him. Uh, when I was there as head screener, I would sometimes have to, somebody would call and say, I'm not happy with my feedback. And I would have to call Stephen in and say, could you give me a little more, Steve? And he would. And I'd go, oh, my God, I never thought of that. Oh, okay, okay. And I'd type it up and send it out to the member. And um, I learned from him. I learned from so many of the screeners because they were specialists in their field. You know, you could never, I could never know as much as they would know about their field. The country screeners taught me phenomenal amounts of stuff. The film and TV screeners, and they come and go. They go out, they work big jobs, they come in in between gigs, and so they stay current all the time as well. Nobody's sitting there telling you, you know, Stephen Goldman is, who's been in the business for decades, 
is never going to sit there and say, oh, no, I don't like anything on the radio. You know? Yeah, it's funny when the whole uh, AB5, the California law about who, who's an independent contractor and who's an employee w was in our face. And I was I had to hire an attorney to decide, you know, how if it applied to us, which it in fact did. Now they back down on the musician aspect of AB5. Yes, just recently. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And one of the tests was, um, do you train them? And I, I said to the attorney, well, we train them to be polite and be constructive, but they actually train us because they're, they're the ones with the expertise that we rely on. So mm -hmm. as you mentioned, you know, we're always learning from them. Yeah. We, we don't train them how to judge music. <laughs> right. I don't need to teach them anything. When I say I train this, I used to train the screeners, which I do, I always follow that with, I was just, I was training them in how to um, express the yeah. knowledge that they have because they haven't had to express it. They just had to act on it. Right. And so when you say to somebody, how did you pick that song? They'll, a lot of times they'll just say it had authenticity. And yeah. then I'll say, well, what's authenticity? And they'll say, well, I don't know how to say that. I just know it when I hear it. And so my job was to figure out what they meant by authenticity right. so that I could then tell the, the members, well, this is what they mean by that. And that's how I learned what we, I was talking about earlier when I said authenticity is not writing just what comes out of you because that's habit. Authenticity is actually the result of studying hit songs over and over, many, many hit songs, and, and writing like that song or writing your lyric to a melody to see how it works, how it sounds, playing that song, getting it in your hands and in your throat when you sing it to figure out how the rhythm works in your body and then when you go to write a song, those things begin to come out as spontaneous choices. They're spontaneous because they're habits. Anything that comes out of you spontaneously is the result of something you've embedded at some point. And so that's how we create authenticity. The Beatles sounded so authentic, but what they were really doing was putting together two things they had embedded, rock and roll from playing at the Hamburg clubs, and then the 19, the the American Songbook of the 30s and 40s, because they both lived in households where that music was played and they embedded it. And yet we think of them as being complete originals. So taking what you study, and you were asking me this earlier, taking what you study and blending it is where you end up being more original. You're not just copying it, you're blending it into something new. Right. And that's where a lot of a really original, we're, if, when you listen to what's on the charts, you hear a lot of, you can hear the blends in those when you start looking. You hear the blend now. Hip hop had such a powerful influence on the rhythm of our melodies now in pop, rock, and country. Melodies changed because hip hop was doing things that were so much more rhythmically complex. And, and songwriters were going, whoa, you know. They didn't say, oh, I hate hip hop, I'm not gonna listen to it. They said, I'm gonna listen to hip hop and I'm gonna take what I can out of there and I'm gonna start putting it in my melodies because listeners like it. And I'm gonna go where listeners like, and I'm gonna make them like it even more. By even country, you know, and, and, and that's a generational yeah. thing. I mean, the kids that listen to country music now grew up also listening to hip hop. So whoever was the first genius to combine the two and make hip hop, brilliant. Well, Florida Georgia Line is such a great example of taking hip hop and blending it with country. Yep. They were the first to have the big hits 
but we'd been hearing it all along. People had started to try it, it didn't hit, it didn't hit, and then suddenly Florida Georgia Line did it in a way that really worked for that audience. Because the, you know, and I know, because we've tried it for years, to get the country A&R people and the country publishers to take songs that were more contemporary and they, they would try, they'd come to taxi. I remember having a, a phone a conference with a guy in Nashville and he was saying, play me some stuff you know, a young guy who was at a publishing company, he's all, you know, happy squirrel. He was going to bring in this new stuff. And <laughs> so he said, play me some stuff that's contemporary country. We played him a couple artists. He got real excited about it. And then he couldn't do anything with it because the rest of the publishing company was holding back. They were going, no, 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 it's, it's not time. It's too, it's too out there. Our, our, our um, audience yeah, well, won't like it. The, the publishers they in Nashville to. are, are totally ruled by what they know they can get on radio. I'm with not the biggest stars. Yeah, with the biggest I, stars. That's I'm not money. entirely sure that the industry in Nashville has come to realize that uh, playlists are a thing. You know, and, and <laughs> yeah. that they maybe don't have to worry about radio as much. But um, when you see when you see Dirks Bentley doing Burning Man. Burning Man is such an amazing melody. It's right out of hip hop with constant short repetition, constant, you know, and a little bit holy water, a little bit this and that, a little bit that. It's totally right out of hip hop. And he has a huge hit and Dirk Bentley isn't young anymore. This is amazing to watch that. You watch Tim McGraw do it with Highway Don't Care. And then you watch him backpedal a little and do Humble and Kind. Mm -hmm. So they are walking a tightrope. The artists know the artists know that they have got to reach a younger generation and they're the ones who are doing these songs. Thomas Rhett, look what God gave her. That's another one. You could just, you know, uh, these guys over and over. Um, Blue Tacoma um, is another one. It's four chord song, repetitive through the entire song, never changes. It's one of these top line songs, Blue Tacoma. And it's one of the first real top line songs besides Highway Don't Care that I saw on the country charts. So when you go and listen to right now, I would be going and listening to pop dance and I'd be pulling that over into country. If you're looking for something you want to spend your 30 minutes on, start listening to the country charts and then uh, to, the, to the dance charts and then start pulling that over because it's all over into pop now. And, and pop is an amalgam of, our, of rhythm and blues and hip hop and um, dance. All of those things being blended into pop. And so you have to listen to all of it now and to pick up on what you just said about playlists are a thing, playlists on Spotify and to a lesser extent, Apple Music, but really Spotify playlists are the tastemakers and the influencers right now. Yeah. You know? uh, as is TikTok, uh, who, who would have ever been able to predict that? But uh, uh, let's go back to um, pro productivity, not just you know getting the stress out of your life to be productive, but do you have any general productivity tips for people that, uh, for instance, when I think of uh, our most productive member, probably it's um, Randon Purcell who gets up at 4.30 every morning, every morning, 4.30, and, uh, and starts working on his music before his family gets up and has breakfast at 7.30 or 8 o'clock. So do you have any... Uh, tips that have worked for you or that you've recommended to other people yeah. and they've gotten back to you saying that they, they worked out really well? Yeah, besides the one I was talking about, which is have a time frame and have a goal, have a plan for every time you sit down to write. I'm sure Randon has that. He's writing to um, either to a uh, 
the taxi listing or a music library has asked him to complete a project or in my case years i spent writing for disney i did three or four songs a week um i had a project i had to do it mm -hmm. so give yourself that goal or use that taxi listing i'm seeing more and more of my students and my clients using taxi listings to to uh, to give themselves a goal pick one that's far enough out in front of you that you want to write for and then sit down and study the songs that are given there as the references and whatever happens whether you make that deadline or you don't make that deadline whether you get forwarded or you don't get forwarded you will have learned a bunch and you will have some new stuff done that's a one of the great ones and i do i tell people even who aren't taxi members yet to get on that email list and get those listings and read them every day and get into the habit of looking for at what the industry is looking for if that's your goal is to write things that you can take out of your bedroom then the taxi listings are one of your best bets because that's what the industry is looking for. And it's right in front of you. And even for people who aren't members, it's free. It's like one of the most underused resources in the business. It's a free uh, uh, insight into what the industry is looking for, it, whether it's film and TV or whether it's, uh, you know, the yeah, artist driven. Yeah, we, we've actually had kind of a resurgence of country listings over the last several months. Um, a lot of pop stuff from major record labels is coming back in again. Good. So we've got a, a really nice array of opportunities and styles that are being looked for. And it's so funny that you're absolutely right. Look, I don't plug it because I own the company and it might seem disingenuous, but I'm grateful that you brought that up because it's such a great way to get a read on what the industry really needs. It's mm. not like we force these genres to be chosen. This is just you know what they're asking for yeah and that's the other thing speaking of genres the first thing i tell people is know what genre you're in um and still people come to me after the song is done and say okay so now where should i pitch this uh what genre am i in after the song is done right that's, and they've paid money to a producer i mean that's insane know the genre you're aiming for first of all the productivity in terms of shortening the odds evening the odds up yeah. Of all the things I can recommend for spending the best, pro most productive time on something that'll pay off is to know before you start what genre you're writing in. It's that simple and that hard because genres are like colors. Mm. You know, it's, it's like, what color is this green? I mean, there's a million greens out there. And yet we all know when we're looking at your green T-shirt that it's green. And so we know that. And yet I could hold up, you know, something like this and call it, you know, oh, this is sort of teal, you know, this is blue green or whatever. I could do any of those things. And yet we still know when we're talking about that wasn't a very good one. This, here's, a, here's a pencil eraser that's green. Okay. And yet when I compare these two greens, they don't look alike. Right. Right. So what we have to do is get familiar with the, the, the bubble that is a genre learn where we fit in what bubble do we fit and some of these bubbles overlap americana indie folk folk they're all gonna overlap each other you know but as you get to know indie folk is a little more produced and a little slicker and americana is more raw and it's got more roots in it you know and so we've got to take a look at what makes the differences and then say well i fit in americana for most of my stuff or indie folk or i fit in dance pop or i fit in country um and what we need to be looking at is knowing what other artists we're like. 
and having that idea. So when you see a taxi listing, and that's what another thing taxi listings are great for, is they give you the genre right up at the top, and then they give you three examples of artists in the genre. So you can learn about genre just by going and listening. So one of the things I do when I get up in the morning is I have my tea, and I open up my taxi listing email for the day, and I go and I listen to some of those artists. I do that every morning. Wow. And I add to my artist list, I gotta show you this. Okay, I gotta show you this, hold on. I have an artist list. This is my playlist of artists that I use as references with my students and clients because they so often ask me, oh, I can't screen share. Shoot, I'm so used to using oh, Zoom right. and I screen share all the time. It's just a text file, yeah. but it's got, must have a thousand names on it, male singer-songwriter. Okay, that's, I put all male singer-songwriters in long list, long list, long list. It just goes on and on and on. And then the next one is dark moody singer-songwriter, male singer-songwriter, uh, emo pop singer-songwriter, gritty blues singer-songwriters, male, gritty with a rock edge, male. These all came from taxi listings, a lot of them. Mm -hmm. Some of them I find on my own. You can go over to Spotify and look at their genres and find out how, where they dovetail with taxi listings. So this is my playlist that I refer to all the time when I need to pull out a genre artist. I've got them right there. Now we can go, just since I've been doing this, Spotify has become a thing and playlists have become a thing. And you can go over on Spotify and start going through the genre playlists and find out where you fit. That's number one. Then start listening to those artists and go play your songs and see how they how they stack up. How can this people better understand where they fit? I think so many people have a difficult time hearing their own material and mm. it's not that they don't want to be objective. I think they genuinely do. But they listen to it, and I'm shocked sometimes when we've done taxi TV episodes, like, what's my genre? And what people think their genre is and what everybody else thinks it is are diametrically opposed. Do you have any advice for people on how they can better get to know what their genre really is? It's um, other taxi members are helpful here. So this is where, because you can't really ask your mom you know, don't go to your mom and say, what genre am I in? Or um, because they don't, people don't know. We know what a genre, what that word means. Right. But most people don't know what that word means. So you have to get other taxi members or other songwriters who are savvy enough to know what a genre is. If you're going to play your song for somebody else and ask them to tell you what genre you're in. The screeners are sometimes usually helpful at that. They'll say you're not in this genre, but it's difficult for them to tell you that you are in another one because if it's outside of their expertise, they sh they need to shut up. You know, I've seen a rock screener say, oh, this is country, and it wasn't contemporary country at all. So they can't get outside their area of expertise. But what I do is I'll go over to Pandora and I'll put up a, I'll start a station with a couple of artists that I think I sound like and let Pandora play and add artists and add artists and then stop Pandora and play my song. Do you feel that, that your song could would it interrupt the flow of that station if it were right. played for other people? It is hard to judge your own stuff, even then. You can now play a playlist, just go through the playlist at Spotify for indie folk, let's say. Um, I trust Pandora more when it comes to genres than I trust Spotify. Absolutely. Yeah, especially yeah. listener playlists at Spotify. You never know what their idea of indie folk might be. 
and they put stuff on there that I don't think is indie folk. So I, I trust Pandora to do this. It's what they do is find similar artists. I mean, it is, it is their algorithm and they're very good at it. And so I would say, just set up a free Pandora station. You can do that. It interrupts with ads, but you could try it that way if you don't want to pay for Pandora. Um, and, uh, and see, how, just let them play, stop it, play yours, then go back and continue to play. If your song came on, does it sound like those songs? Would it interrupt the flow of those songs? Would it cause a listener to go, what? What's that? What? Hmm? Yeah, we use that as a, as a phrase in many of the taxi listings. Would your song work on a playlist with these others? I should also mention, I don't know that you and I have discussed this in the years that, that you haven't been at taxi, but um, we are much more insistent on getting um, the references from the listing party. And in doing so, it's kind of astonishing to us how they don't really understand the genre, the connection between the genre they're asking for and the references they give. So it creates more work for us. We thought it would make life easier for us. Mm. And, and the result we were really looking for was getting better information for the, the members, of course, so that they could be more on target. So we went right to the sources and said, we really need you, uh, and we do this with every listing, we really need you to give us at least one, if not three references. And it's astonishing sometimes that they give a reference and then we have to call them back and say, you know, we don't want to make them feel stupid, but we will say to them, your reference has nothing to do with the genre. So do you want to be like the reference or the genre that you've mentioned? That's the question, isn't it? The reference or the genre for them? Yeah. Because they don't think in terms of genres, especially music supervisors. Right. They think in terms of one-off placements. Yeah. And so they'll think, oh, that song worked in that scene and I loved it. So I want a song like that. Right. They're looking you know, for an emotion. Yes, they mood. are. And so these, these songs might have a similar emotion. Um, and then you just have to say that to people. It's not the same genre, but it is the, the emotion they want. And sometimes uh, even that's uh, risky. They're not used to having to do that what you just asked them to do. Right. Their job is to find the song that's right for the scene. And that's as wide as they go. It's like me asking them, how do you know that a song will work for a scene at some point? Let's say you're not looking for it. How do you know? How do you keep, why do you keep some songs that you can't use right now? And they add them to their own libraries. They have huge libraries, uh, playlists of libraries and, and of songs. And I'll say, how do you know to put that in your library that it'll work on some scene someday? And they all say the same thing, which is it's it's authentic. It has authenticity. I got so sick of hearing them say it has authenticity that that's why I went ahead and wrote an entire thing on what is what is authenticity because they can't tell you. I want to. They just know when they hear it. I want to answer a question by Nina Harris in the chat room. So she says, so Michael, the reference is key. No, by the time you see the listing, we've solved the problem of their genre and the references not being the same. So use them both. And you really have to develop a feel for the listings and do what I call triangulation. Um, it's not purely the references. And if you're using the references, all three of the references are rarely incredibly similar. So you have to listen to them and, and go, oh, well, they all have a pretty wide spread on the melody. They're all emotionally upbeat. They all have a tempo within this range. Look for the commonality and then read the listing. And, and the listing, frankly, will point out many of those commonalities. So mm -hmm. it's a stew and there's a bit of tea, uh, tea leaf reading. 
but you won't find better um, right. music, yeah, music supervisors yep. and music library owners routinely say to us when they look at our listings, go, wow, I should have you guys writing all my briefs for me. And Those we, are the best. You will never get a brief as good and as detailed and clear as what you're getting from Taxi Now. So start working on those. And then when you get briefs from music supervisors, at least you'll have your feet wet and <laughs> you'll be able to maybe interpret what they're saying. It's, uh, yeah, with music soups, it really helps if you know them uh, because then you can read yeah. between the lines. Right, and uh, that's because, the thing yeah. that we can't, the members say, well, you must have inside information that we don't get. Well, we kind of do and that we know their personalities and we know their history, but we can't explain that in writing. Uh, there's no way we could, you know, going back to Stephen Goldman as an example, we know his history. We know the kind of music that he's used for certain kinds of movies. That may give us a little, you know, information, but it's not something you can really put in writing. Mm -hmm. It's only knowing that here's a guy that you wouldn't think would take a, an outside chance and go for something completely, you know, out of whack with the scene, but he will be. So there are, you know, there have been times in my relationship with Goldman where I would say, you know, let me play you something that is nothing like what you're looking for. And, and he loved it. Didn't use it, but he loved it just because he, yeah. he is a big thinker. Yeah. We, and that does happen, but Taxi's not in a position usually to do it. Right. So some, a member had said to me one time, but what about, because he submitted a good song, but it was nothing like what they were asking for for this commercial. And he really, really, really wanted me to forward it. And he was being a pest a bit, not that taxi movies are ever pests. Um, but he really wanted it forward. And he said, well, they're going to, you know, they could be sitting on the table and go in a completely left direction. I mean, that you could play my song and they all love it and it'd be a complete left turn. And I said, yeah, but taxi doesn't have the luxury of doing that. You have to be sitting at that table yeah. to, to have and the song that'll do that. There are, you know, three or four times in a year where I might reach out to somebody and say, this is outside what you're looking for, but it's coming from me. And, you know, three or four times out of a year, out of thousands, you know, yeah. of forwards. So yeah, it's not something. It's too risky. Yeah. Right. You've got to have- Taxi has to send what they want or they won't run listings. Right, exactly. You, I can do it with a Goldman because I've got, you know, a strong relationship with him. Um, that's not the case where we can do that with most people. So again, it right. goes back to percentages. How do you want to play it? Do you want to hit the nail on the head or get very close to it? Or do you want to have something that's just outside baseball that's a one in 10,000 chance? Don't do that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you see, you know, more than one listing looking for um, songs in a general, let's say indie folk, I'm just on that today, yeah. and it, mentioning a few bands that you like and You've seen two or three of those listings. You can bet there will be more. That in fact, Taxi's hearing something from the ground up and that music libraries are looking for it. And there will be more music libraries looking for it and more listings for that because right now it's hot. Um, and so if that's a state, if that's an area that you're in, I would be looking at those alas really closely Absolutely. and saying, can I come close to something without ripping it off? Um, I know that for example, the Lumineers uh, Hohe was really hot for a while, but it was very difficult to get close to that song without ripping it off. And they didn't want a knockoff, right. but they did want the energy, what you were just saying. They wanted the energy, the the emotion, 
the upbeat feel of it, that's what they were looking for. They loved it and it works so well for commercials, that song. But they don't want another ho hey, that's already been done right. and it's really recognizable. Yep. So that's a fine line to walk. I've had one of my clients have something turned down because it came too close. But then you he had to drop out a bunch of stuff in the in the arrangement and do that a little differently and it worked out fine ultimately. He was able to get away from it. Um, so that's that's the line that you will have to judge yourself. There's a lot of judgment that goes on just from sheer experience, just from doing it over and over and finding out what works and what what and what doesn't. Um, we've got 10 minutes left. Do you want to take a few questions from yeah. the uh, folks in the chat room? Guys, uh, ladies, anybody got a question that you'd like me to relay over to Robin? And then I'm going to go watch Almost Famous again. <laughs> I love that movie. <laughs> And Outlander. Okay, you talked me into it. Outlander. Yeah, you got to start <laughs> season one, episode one for Outlander. Okay. <laughs> um, and the the out. level of acting by the end of the first season is jaw dropping. Yeah. Uh, I've actually seen a couple of the uh, tests that they did, the screen tests for it, where they're not in costume or anything. The screen tests were jaw dropping. Um, Questions? Yeah. Or did we cover everything? Uh, well, here, did here, we tell you everything? How do you get your music in a music library? You join Taxi. There. Yes. <laughs> that was an easy one. <laughs> um, that is the answer. Do your books define addressing genre, defining genres? Do your books address the definition of different genres? Yes, um, the new ones do. Yeah. So take a look through the table of contents. I can't tell you exactly which one. I'm sure right in level one, I'm starting to address it. Yes. There we go. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so uh, just go and look through the table of contents and look for genre, where I'm addressing genres because it'll be right there. And I just can't remember which one I did it in. And I probably did it in all three because it's one of those essential things that you have to start with. But even, even better than that is go listen. Because the definition of a genre is the same as the definition of a color. It's a range of musical um, styles. Of, it's a, uh, it has to do with vocals, with lyrics, with melody, with arrangement, with instrumentation, right? So your folk genres are all going to be more acoustic oriented. And it's not a fixed target. It, it, it is moving and morphing yeah, over time. It's flo it, is flo it floats. And so your best bet is to do just exactly what he, what Michael was just talking about. When he says, listen to all three of the reference songs and find the similarities, find the continuity between them. You go to the Spotify playlists, let's say, and the playlists, those Spotify playlists by Spotify are pretty good at genres. It's when you get into the listener playlists and it'll say right at the top of the playlist, Spotify, or it'll give the name of the listener who put it together, put theirs together. Don't trust the listener ones right away. Go to the Spotify ones because they're pretty good at it. And so they'll do pop right now or they'll do dance or they'll do um, uh, roots rock or they'll do indie rock. I like right now I'm liking um, Acoustic Grit is my favorite uh, Americana list. And um, that'll help you. And then read as much as you can. It's a little difficult. Wikipedia will define each genre and give you artists in that genre. A lot of times they're artists from a long time ago. Right. And not too contemporary. Um, so you kind of have to watch out for that. Um, I'm not sure that they get it right all the time. Wikipedia has caused more than one disagreement between Tom and I at the office because I'll see a listing and to me, 
uh, I see every listing that goes out the door, literally every one. And sometimes I look at the references and I reach out to the guys in the A&R department and say, guys, it, it, I don't feel like the references are representative of the genre. And they'll say, well, that's exactly what we got from the music supervisor. And I'll throw up a, a Wikipedia list of things within that genre. And they go, Michael, that stuff's like five years ago. <laughs> wow, there. Yeah. So, but to take those, the taxi listings are because listen to that, what he just said is we sit there and argue over these things. Yeah. There are constant arguments. I mean, if you walk down the street in Nashville and you ask, give me a definition of the difference between contemporary country and neo-traditional country, you're going to get, you know, everybody talking crosswise because even the industry disagrees. It is, they are bubbles, they are vague and they are bubbles, but there's something at the heart of it that you can identify after you listen to it enough. I think it really does come from experience and also watch those taxi listings. What is the genre they're giving and what are the a la artists they're giving? Because you're in pretty good shape if you look there. That you can, you can rely on that as much as you can rely on anything. Um, you can rely on that and start your playlists there. If you're interested in working in uh, contemporary pop, you know, you're going to look at the pop listings and you're going to pull out those uh, you know, uh, Katy Perry and um, Ariana Grande and more or less uh, Charlie Puth, they're going to range between dance pop and R&B pop. There's a big range mm -hmm. within pop it, itself. And so you get those subgenres going down. It's, un, in, in, to my way of thinking, it is unmistakable that Charlie Puth is R&B pop. But I know there's disagreement on that one because I've had those disagreements with people. But to me, he has the swing and the sway of R&B, and he definitely has a pop sensibility. So I would put him there. I'd put Pink in dance pop, but not everything she does is going to be dance pop, but most of it's going to be dance pop. Katy Perry, I put purely in pop. So, but I know that the edges of all of those just cross over each other all the time. Absolutely. That's how I think of them. And it helps me, and it'll pretty much agree with what Taxi's doing. It'll pretty much agree. So just start experiencing them. That's another thing you can do with your time. Listening to music is as important as writing music, which I said I was mentioning earlier. Yeah. We all want to write. We all want to write first. We all want to be creative first. But listening to it is as important as writing it. Why are musicians and authors and screenwriters, uh, people who are starting out and want to be those things, so resistant to absorbing everything they can from its or that's already out there. They, you know, I'm going to create the next great genre. I'm going to create the next great genre of movie or something. Well, it's like you can't be Pablo Picasso without starting out very early in, in going to art school and learning the basics and building on that. And going through your blue period when you're very realistic right. and then going into your cubist period and then going into your, yeah, it's a process and you're in the middle of the process and it's hard to tell when you're in the middle of it, um, what the process is. But even novelists, even great novelists, I mean, there's an old uh, um, uh, creative writing exercise that my teachers gave me back when I was in college. And the creative writing exercise is copy pages out of Hemingway literally sit there on the typewriter and type the pages out of Hemingway Wow! to get the feel for the sentence length and the type of the rhythm of how he wrote and get it in your hands. That's why it's so important to play and sing along with these hit songs that you're studying. 
And you'll always see me saying in my do it now exercises or try it now is learn that song and play it. If you don't play an instrument, that's okay. Just sing it and tap your hand and clap your hands along with it to get the underlying rhythm and how that melody fits with the underlying rhythm. You have to teach your body what the steady rhythm is so you can sing that melody on top of it. They go together. They always go together. And you, so when you're studying hit songs, you're not just listening. You're going to listen for a while. Then you're going to sing along with it or talk along with it if it's not in your key. Do whatever you have to do to get the rhythm of that melody into your body and the rhythm of those lyrics and the line lengths. Where do you run out of breath? Is there a line there that's so long you're going to run out of breath? Because you're not going to write a line like that. And you want to get that in your body and say, okay, I've got to take a breath here and keep going. I'm going to do that on one of my lines in my songs. This is how you embed melody style, is by physically embedding it. Listen first and then embed by doing it, by singing along, by writing your own lyrics to that melody. Sing it, do it, tap it, play it. And that's how you put that stuff in your body. And then when you go to write a song, it'll start coming out automatically. At first, you'll have to think about it, but pretty soon that'll become a new habit for you. And that's how you update what your songwriting is doing. Darren Moss in the chat room asks, how do you reconcile the advice to not go for the long shot with examples of first, the first person who did hip hop and the Beatles combining eras, which were both, I assume, long shots at the time? Uh, oh, well, yeah, the Beatles were turned down by 11 record companies. We right. know that story. Yes. So when you're doing that, you, if it's something that you know, you're, you're getting an audience reaction like the Beatles used to get. You know, you know, you got it. Hip hop, the minute people heard it, they just went, yes. But, and you those are two examples, you know, in a 60 year period. So yeah, that's true. That that's they true. were, they were long, yes, long. We, we both, Rob, I'm speaking for Robin here, but we both admit long shots on extremely rare occasions do work out. Um, but they were blends, but those were blends. They that's weren't true, that right. much of a long shot. That's what I'm saying. Right, they weren't and inventing so they were a new category. Right. They were successful blends. And we have social media now. That's the amazing thing, is you can put that up there and it can go viral on TikTok. Or it could go, I mean, Lizzo was a long shot. Face it, folks. Yeah. Yeah, Lizzo was a long shot. Adele was a long shot. But she had, which one was it, X Factor, whichever one it was that pushed her over the edge there. Yeah. These things came about because we now have other channels that the record labels and the radio look at to get their cue from. Instead of having to get through the damn door at the record label and practically have to knock it down, which the Beatles had to do, mm -hmm. we now have a way to go directly to the listener. And, and record label signings and music publisher signings now are all driven by listener uh, uh, listener appeal. Right, it used to be how many people can you get out to the club? How many clubs do you play? And what's the radius that you work in, in clubs, uh, physical radius, uh, geographic radius, and now it's how many followers do you have? How many spins that's do you That's true. Yeah. And that's how we saw Atlanta as a hub for a whole bunch of acts. And we saw Seattle as a hub for a whole bunch of acts, was because that's what we were doing at that time in the 90s and in the 80s. We were, we were looking at the geographic area and seeing how people got excited about it because you couldn't do that in New York. You couldn't get in the clubs in New York or LA and you were doing it in your hometown. And so people did it that way. Yeah. Now we do it with social media. And all it takes is you getting, you know, your, I have a co-writer, Ed Patrick, who got him picked up by a couple music blogs. And he's now got 4 million cumulative listens on Spotify. 
he didn't have any listens before. He wasn't even finishing any songs when we wrote with each other. Wow. And now he's got four million listens. And that came right out of music blogs and playlists. So, uh, you know, that's, that's, I'm studying that right now and putting together a, a new course and stuff because it's so doable. But Taxi has the inside. You can go straight through Taxi and right into a music library or right into a music supervisor, right into a music publisher. At the same time, you know, you just keep working on your songs and keep trying to true them up to what uh, publishers, to what people are looking for. I just want people to know that you and I don't talk about you plugging Taxi before we do shows together. No, we don't. It's, it's, but I am going to shamelessly plug <laughs> your book. Uh, books. Um, you know, for years, um, and, and I am the publisher of Shortcuts to Hit Songwriting, the original one, and Shortcuts to Writing Songs for Film and Television. And for years, people would pester us about why don't you do an ebook version. But Robin is the kind of person that when she takes on a project, she doesn't do it half-assed. She's got to do it better than the original, which she did by being much more elaborative on the, the basis really yeah uh, of uh hit you know uh shortcuts to hit song writing the print version of the book still a great book this is the expanded version of it but then she couldn't stop herself when robin and i first talked about her doing another book she was no nah, no nah, i don't have another book <laughs> and i was just gonna then i was just gonna update some of the references right. even though the songs don't go back that far in the print book I was just going to update some of the references because there was some new melody stuff we're doing. But that's, I thought, oh, that's all I'll do. But then once I got started, you know, and, and in ebooks, I can put links in there to other places in the book and send you around from shortcut to shortcut and stuff like that. It just got to be, it's a 900 page book. Yeah. And so that's why it got divided into three. <laughs> but the amazing thing about it is it's, it's 900 pages. And from a cost value perspective, you can buy all three of these for slightly less than you could buy one of the print books. So it, it's a great value. Now I understand some people like print. I personally prefer print books because I like to write in the margins and, and dog ear things. But I, I think I stand in the minority now. So if you're an ebook reader, there you go. You guys asked for it, go get it. Um, and somebody said earlier, we got to sign off here because we're four minutes okay. over, but somebody said, hey, I won one of Robin's books some time ago. You guys haven't sent it to me. That's because our governor won't let us go back to the office, and that's where the books are. So as soon as we're allowed to go back to the office, I know we must owe like easily 10 of Robin's books to people and some of Dean's books and some of Steve Barden's books. They're all stashed at the office. So oh, well, um, talk to me afterwards and we can sort that out. Okay. Um, yeah. Anyway, that's it. Robin, always great to have you on the show. You're amazing. It's wonderful to um, be here. You know, I, I've known you for all these years, and every time I think I know everything that you know, I realize I don't. So <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing. Now you do. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, thanks. It's great. And your website again is robinfrederick.com. .com. And if you want more of those 30 minute plans, you can go over to my other website, which is mysongcoach.com. On the front page, just scroll down, you'll find a whole bunch of 30-minute plans. I put them up this morning just for you. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, I will uh, not see you for quite some time, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see you Anytime. right here in this little screen. Thanks, Robin. You bet. Bye-bye. And thank you, guys. Uh, we will see you next week for another exciting episode of Taxi TV Live. And we will see you right back here tomorrow at 4 o'clock for another episode 
of Taxi's Quarantining Happy Hour. Make sure to go give us a like, hit that subscribe button, and share this with all your friends who are songwriters. Bye-bye, everybody.